This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 213. I'm super excited about today. I think it is going to be a helpful show for uh, a good group of people who are experiencing ongoing chronic illness and finding it very difficult to heal. Uh, As many of you guys know, I myself am in that bucket of people having uh, experienced uh, a very huge inflammatory cascade about four years ago now and slowly, slowly recovering from long-term mold exposure. Uh, But what I'm finding is that I react horrifically to all sorts of tiny stressors that really shouldn't have my body firing off uh, and sounding every possible alarm uh, to the magnitude that it does simply by walking through a small shop for 30 seconds that might have a dirty aircon. Um, and I started to think, you know, why do I react so severely to so many different situations? Uh, you know, sleeping in a bed that might be using a different um, washing detergent, for example, and then my body sounding off every possible alarm. And I started to wonder, and this was before I knew about brain retraining at all, whether I might have some sort of nervous system slash immune system PTSD from the horrific experience I had living in a long-term water-damaged building unknowingly and getting SIRS, chronic inflammatory response syndrome. So I sort of um, fleshed it out with my doctor a bit and we did some testing and we saw that my mast cells were quite haywire and elevated uh, and um, I started to think, gosh, there really is some something to this and she shared with me a couple of resources and I started to look into things and I came across Ashok's work and what I'm very excited about is he has found a, through his own journey of uh, chronic fatigue, um, MECFS, uh, he has found that we can actually retrain our brains uh, to talk to our immune systems, work together in a normal, logical way instead of freaking out and sending a huge message of alarm every time there's a small stress. So, of course, there is still the initial need to heal from whatever the initial trigger was. Uh, Perhaps there's detoxification required if it was something like uh, a tick bite or mould exposure or um, really high levels of EMF exposure. You know, all those things are valid and it's definitely not... Today is not about... Uh, not addressing any root causes that are significant enough to require treatment, not at all. It is more about starting to rewire the responses our bodies tend to have in uh, all fairness to them to protect us and keep us alive uh, when they start to believe that literally everything that is different or new or slightly stressful is a massive stress and they need to try and save our lives and protect us. 
So if that has piqued your interest at all, I think you're really going to enjoy today's show. Ashok was suffering from chronic fatigue uh, about 25 years ago when he was studying economics at Cambridge University. So by no means did he start out as a neurologist, a neuroscientist, um, but in an effort to heal himself rather than just accept his lot in life that this was going to be it from now on, he actually started to do a lot of neurological research uh, and from what he conducted, he managed to get himself 100% better. And he then set up a clinic to treat others. He's published well-known papers on the subject of chronic illness and uh, brain retraining. And he has a fantastic program, the Gupta program, which uh, I have popped in the show notes for you as well for anyone who feels like they might want to give this a go. So before I hook into that conversation with Ashok, I just wanted to remind everybody that you have another week of the Mother SPF offer of free shipping. So you get to try this product, order it online, get it delivered, and you won't have to pay the shipping on a single tube, which can end up being quite a large percentage. So it's a fantastic offer. Uh, I can attest to the effectiveness of this sunscreen. I tried it myself at the end of last summer, right when the prototypes were coming out as they were getting ready to launch. It's a lovely, beautiful texture, uh, which is going to be a huge boon for anyone who's been buying low-tox sunscreens for 15 years, like I have, because boy, (laughs) is it better than some of the things in the early days. Uh, It's also very good protection. A lot of people still say they might get burnt or not feel like the protection's long-lasting enough Uh, in low-tox sunscreens. I can say that this is firmly placed in my top three now. And uh, that's really saying something because we are spoilt for choice. There are many, 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 but this is right up there, folks. So it's definitely worth trying to see if it's going to be your family's favorite. And your code is LOTOX SHIPPING, free shipping for the whole month of November. And their website is mother, as in mother, father, motherspf.com. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, it's been wonderful to be celebrating Tea Month uh, with the Lotox Clubbers. We had the fabulous Anthea Kalouris, master um, uh, herbalist and tea and tisan blend maker extraordinaire. She's incredibly gifted when it comes to plants. You might remember her from the adaptogen show we did uh, a couple of years ago on the podcast. Incredible knowledge. And uh, we had an exclusive club as we often do, an extra little interview in the month uh, specifically for clubbers who can ask all the questions so that it's actually a club-powered member uh, set of questions so that you guys get uh, to learn and understand uh, things better. And uh, it was all about how we can use teas and tea blends to support uh, any kind of health challenges that we might have, not in a treat, cure, heal kind of context, but more around supporting symptoms while you work on the bigger picture. And Anthea was a wealth of knowledge, as always, sharing a ton of tips around teas and pregnancy, uh, teas and uh, hormones, uh, all sorts of fantastic things, uppers, downers, you name it. Uh, so all the clubbers have really enjoyed that one. And if you haven't joined the club yet, it's only $49 a year. And uh, that's Australian, by the way. So if you're in the US or Europe, it's more like 30 euro or US dollars. 
And um, every month you get an ebook on a specific low-tox topic. Uh, so tea is this month um, and many more things to come. And I hope to see you there. You can join. I've got all the details for you in the show notes. But that's enough from me. Enjoy this show all about brain retraining for permanent healing uh, from chronic conditions with Ashok Gupta. Hello, Ashok. How are you? I'm very well, Alex. How are you doing? I'm well. Uh, And uh, a little story. Last night I had to change the bedroom I was sleeping in um, because my mum came to stay with us and I've been staying in her bedroom because it's very low EMF. Uh, We're in a place that we've found out is right across from phone towers. So we're going to be moving for obvious general health benefits for the long term. Uh, But I've become super sensitive to uh, electromagnetic fields. And so I'm oscillating between mum's bedroom and my son's bedroom. And I moved to his bedroom and all it was was new sheets. And it sent my body into a panic. And I think it is the perfect precursor little tale to what we're going to be talking about today, because the work that you do I like to describe it from the research I've done, being very keen on exploring it for my own benefit. I like to describe it as helping people out of nervous system, immune system, PTSD, some horrific, horrible challenge that we've experienced in our health that decides to fester and linger for years, like on a hamster wheel that we just can't get off. Would that be accurate? You know, Alex, um, it's, it's great that you've described it like that because I, I describe it as a post-traumatic physiological response. Yeah, right? yeah. And, you know, it, traditionally we think of trauma in a more psychological sense. So, uh, so let's say someone goes to war, the war veteran comes back to their home country, but they still are responding as if they're in a war zone, right? So PTSD has traditionally been seen from a psychological perspective, but actually as far as the brain is concerned, It doesn't see it as physical, emotional, biological, chemical, immune. It's just a defense response. It's a a trained, conditioned defense response. So when we go through a traumatic illness or a traumatic experience at a physiological level where our life is threatened, then as you say, it becomes a post-traumatic response where the body keeps responding as if we are still fighting off that chemical or still fighting off that electrical field or still fighting off that food, which was bad for us 10 years ago. The body gets stuck because the body errs on the side of caution. Survival is more important than making you feel good. So, so epic to get our heads around that because it's not really something that's talked about in the treat, diagnose, cure conversations of today. And, uh, and for me, I've, often, I've been fascinated with the nervous system's role in long-term illness for a long time. I've, I've done and still do, actually. I find one of my favourite therapies is TRE, trauma release exercises, where you just give your body a good shake Um Yeah, or Joe Dispenza meditations where you literally pull your mind out of the body and create from a different place. And I think there is so much a need to bring these sorts of modalities into the common exploration uh, conversations of getting people better. Uh, And I think what you're teaching, a retraining essentially of the brain with quite specific uh, uh, programmed and progressive um, steps 
is revolutionary. So I'm really, really excited to have you here. I want to talk about uh, the story for what got you into neuroplasticity because it's a, it's a personal one. And a lot of the times we feel a bit jaded by the practitioners we work with because they've, they're well. And sometimes you just want mm. someone who really deeply understands what you've been through. And you're mm. one of those people. Talk to us about it. Uh, yes. I mean, I, I agree with you. These types of conditions, it's very difficult to really empathize with it unless you've been through it yourself or a version of it because it's so unusual and mm. people don't look unwell. No. But there's so much going on below the surface, whereas traditional medicine kind of treats the body like a car and we can see what goes wrong. We go and fix that. Or we fix this. But when it's a more deeper functional issue within the entire body, the whole nervous system, it's very difficult to diagnose and treat. Um, so my background is that 25 years ago at university, I actually suffered from ME, chronic fatigue syndrome, with some pain aspects of fibromyalgia as well, but mainly ME-CFS. And I was in my second year of university, I was at Cambridge University, and I was suddenly, everything stopped, a brick wall in front of me. And that's it. I, I literally felt my life was over. I became very depressed. And doctors would tell me, there's nothing you can do about this. You've got it for the rest of your life. And uh, there's no cure. There's no way we can help you recover. And, you know, it was on the worst periods of my life. And for me, that was not enough for someone to say that to me. I have had, always had a very curious mind and want to say, right, what is the reason behind this condition? What causes it? How can I get out of this? I'm not going to accept this kind of diagnosis. And um, that led me on a lifelong quest to really understand what causes these conditions. So I studied a lot of brain neurology, um, a lot of physiology, a lot of understanding um, what causes these types of conditions. Is that and what I, you had been studying at uni in the first place or was this a big direction change for you? Well, actually at university, I was studying economics. Aha. Uh -huh. And you might think they're completely different disciplines, but it, what actually my uh, kind of background in economics, I believe helped me understand what goes on in the mind. Because right? you had that analytical... Mind going in or? Yeah, so there is the aspect of analysis, but actually also economics is very psychological and it relies on cycles. It relies on systems and cycles where you, you increase this, that then lowers that, and then that increases this. And the whole economy can be seen like, almost like a collection of pipes that are all interlinked with different valves and water is the money that's passing through all those different valves. And in the same way, that's what I saw the nervous system as and our immune system. So I saw many kind of crossovers there. And, you know, it was actually coming across a book by Professor Joseph Ledoux, which is called The Emotional Brain, which is one of the first kind of seminal pieces or books on uh, the brain neurology of emotion and fear. And it suddenly opened my eyes to what was going on. Um, so I managed to, using that book and various other resources, get myself 100% better, where I experimented with my brain. I was literally retraining my brain experimentally based on a hypothesis I'd created, um, got myself well, and then published a, a medical paper, which was published in the journal Medical Hypotheses. Um, and then the journey really started because when you get into a clinic situation and you start helping others, you realize it's not as simple as it was with yourself. Mm, yeah. <laughs> There's much more complexity. So I spent many years then uh, helping other patients, supporting them through their healing. So a lot of MECFS patients, fibro patients, chemical, chemically sensitized patients, or MCS, and mold illness as well. And I finally got my therapist to a place where I thought, right, I, this works for most of the people most of the time. 
and then published my therapies as the Gupta program in 2007. So we were the first kind of neuroplasticity brain retraining type program. So that, that's wow. been my kind of journey. And then we updated the program uh, a couple of years ago. And, and now we feel we're really getting even better results uh, with patients. Interesting. Uh, can I ask some of the aspects that you you were excited to update based on having worked with people for what, a, a decade really, by the time you then started to think about updating? I think ease of use. Mm, okay. So when people are <coughs> sensitized, when they have a lot of potentially trauma in their past, when they've got a lot of anxiety or they just don't have the energy, the tools have to be tailored so they're not making someone overdo it, make them push beyond their limits. It has to be something easy and straightforward. So the program before was getting a little complex. So we tried to simplify it and make it easier. So for instance, rather than half an hour videos or 40 minute videos, we split everything up into around on average 10 minute videos. So short, sharp things that you can do and put into practice straight away. So it's more kind of ease of use yeah, and therefore brilliant. people hanging on to it and doing it for longer. Mm, I love it. And so you mentioned the seminal book that got you to think about transcending matter and working on the mind. Uh, it, it's obviously not a conventional path. Were you talking to any doctors at the time about what you were doing in those very early days? No, it was literally a moment of going into my cave mm. with a ton of books. Yeah. Um, and in those days, you know, research was the books, uh, yeah. some research online, but mainly books and, and medical articles and really just absorbing it and trying to put the pieces together. And it really felt like it was a jigsaw puzzle. The, the, the answer, I could see the picture, but I didn't quite know what the pieces were to put it together. And that was the really exciting part. It really kind of thrilled me and excited me. And um, yeah, you know, the, the hypothesis um, that I kind of created was really a combination of my own experiences of what I could see was going on in my own brain. People I saw around me also had the condition but then also, as I said, it's kind of quite intricate and intense brain neurology from the mid nineties, which has also come on very far since mm, then. It sure has, hasn't it? Uh, and so as you started to Im implement these things, what were the first signs of hope? So if someone out there is listening, they've got fibromyalgia, ME, CFS, uh, that you thought, oh, there's something to this. It's, it's working. Mm. So there's several aspects. I think the first is when we have a condition, there is a resistance to that condition. There is a resistance to what is happening in our bodies. And there's a constant search for how do I solve this? How can I get out of this? You know, have I not had enough chia seeds today? Is that why I'm still feeling like this? You know, I find there's this kind of desperation in the, in the yeah. kind of what we call the worried well almost that, you know, have I had this? Is it because I had that food or which getting really down to the micro level was actually there comes a point at which there's a stillness and a calm and a peace about what you're experiencing there's an acceptance and I find that illness is far easier to deal with when there is a, a kind of emotional acceptance of what you're going through and that's an important part that impacts on the brain neurology as well because it's easier to rewire the brain when it's calmer and it's not already triggering its old patterns um, so things like meditation and breathing are incredibly powerful to kind of prepare the brain uh, for retraining. And then obviously, as I went on, I was experimenting. I, I was retraining. I could see the effects in my body. So my body was loosening. I could feel the energy beginning to come back. I had longer periods of feeling well. And then, of course, would then overdo it yeah. and have a dip. 
Because you're like, well, I've done it. I figured out the solution. I'm well now. And then I'd overdo it. Symptoms would come back, and I'd realize, okay, the brain hasn't been fully retrained yet, um, because the grooves in the mind, those pathways, those old neural pathways, still exist. Mm. Right. There's a bit more retraining to do. And They're very stubborn. They're very stubborn. And people who have addictions, whether it's food or alcohol or cigarettes, they'll probably relate to that because you think that you've overcome your sugar addiction or your, you know, whatever. But then a moment of weakness can bring you back into those old patterns and those old grooves, which is why continual retraining and not becoming complacent is incredibly important to finally get yourself over the hill and then it's much easier. Mm. So is your work, your program, a part of your life still today on a personal level? sure mm. so i may not be needing the brain retraining but the ability to be the awareness of our minds rather than getting sucked into the unconscious software patterns which run us and overtake us yeah if you know all of self-development actually comes down to this one thing which is are we being run by the subconscious software programs of our minds where there's often little bugs that have happened from the past little software bugs or can we take a step back and become aware of what's going on in this kind of, you know, chunk of matter in sitting there and take a step back and choose again, mm. choose again, choose again. So we're basically doing an iOS update <laughs> and ironing out all the bugs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the iOS update or, you know, when you call IT support, what do yeah. they always say? Uh, have you tried rebooting your computer? And that's always, you know, oh, gosh. Now, why didn't I think of that? Yes, of course. And you try it and then it does work. So, you know, it's one of those things. It's rebooting your system um, through all of these different practices. It's bringing your system back to homeostasis, back to the place it should be, rather than the place that it's got lost in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Uh, So let's do a 101 on some of the terms we're going to probably hear over the rest of the interview, because I think it's important that anyone who's new to brain science feels confident and uh, understands what we're talking about, rather than, oh, what is the amygdala? So uh, neuroplasticity, what is it by definition? Yeah, so neuroplasticity is this idea that um, 30, 40, 50 years ago, they believed that your brain was probably fully formed after your childhood years, your adolescent years, and couldn't really be changed and shifted. So your personality was fixed, the way your body responded to the environment was fixed. And that was your inheritance, it was both your genetic inheritance and the inheritance of your upbringing. And that started to become challenged with novel experiments and whether they be in sociology, psychology. And it came up with this idea that actually the brain is constantly rewiring itself, constantly changing. And therefore we are not a slave to our destinies. In fact, we can change and each moment we're updating. Every time we learn something new, we are rewiring our brain. Every time we learn a new response to our environment, whether it's emotional or physiological, we're rewiring our brain. So our brains are neuroplastic, neuroplastic and flexible and malleable, which is incredibly empowering and inspiring. It liberates us from thinking, oh, this is just the way I am. You know, people say, oh, that person never changes. They're always the same, right? And then they get married and they say, oh, you've changed. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know. Yeah. So it's it's really giving us that um, hope that whatever you're experiencing mentally, physically, emotionally, it can be changed. We just need to find the right key to the right lock. 
Mm-hmm. Perfect. Uh, okay, next one, limbic system. So limbic system is essentially a collection of brain structures, which are kind of more the kind of subconscious brain structures. Those include things like the thalamus, the hypothalamus, the amygdala, the hippocampus. All of these structures operate beyond conscious awareness and traditionally have been associated with our emotional responses to our environments. So someone might say, oh, I I don't know why I do that. Why do I react like that to that person? Or why do I react? It's your limbic system. But traditionally, as I said, it's been associated with psychological responses, but really it's physiological responses as well. Uh-huh. Great. And so uh, amygdala specifically, because this is a big one for you and your program. Yes. So the amygdala, we actually have two of them that sit behind our eyes in the limbic system. And <laughs> they have many roles, but their main role is to protect us from danger by eliciting emotional responses. So anger, fear, guilt, We can sometimes think these are annoying responses that we have, but actually they're protective responses. The fight or flight. Fight is anger. Flight is fear. So the amygdala assesses the environment for dangers and creates the appropriate responses, but also dampens down responses. So it's not just stimulating responses, but it's um, involved in mediation of responses as well. Mm -hmm. And is this what's going a little bit haywire and... uh losing its ability to dampen things down? That's one aspect, yes. So many of these brain structures are working together and people get a little confused with my hypothesis. They think it's just the amygdala or just the insula. Actually, it's all of these structures working together um, to create overprotective responses. Um, But at the core of it, I believe the conditioning for our nervous system is in the amygdala and probably the conditioning for our immune system is in the insula part of the brain. this is obviously a new term, so I'll just describe it. The insula actually sits between the cortex and the limbic system, part of the cortex. And its role is to monitor our internal environment, see what's going on, and then initiate the correct autonomic and immune response. So it's almost like the kind of heads, the kind of head guard of what's going on in the body, what do we need to do? But sometimes it can get overwhelmed with the numbers of signals coming up, the number of danger signals that can no longer mediate and moderate what needs to happen. My insula is on a power trip. That's what's going on. It's on a power trip, wants to be the the big bad cop, you know, getting everybody (laughs) just like, go away. Everything's fine. (laughs) I know. And it can feel like these structures. Why do they do this? Actually, they're doing it for our own benefit. They're doing it because they believe that what they're doing is best. So just to introduce that, the, the, the kind of background to the insula and the amygdala, you know, if we ask the biggest question of why are we here, right? Now, we can ask that from a kind of philosophical perspective. Why are we here, right? But that's for another podcast. Uh, <laughs> but if we ask it from a, a kind of scientific perspective, because why are we here? We're here because over millions of years of evolution, this nervous system and this brain have developed through all the various you know, animals and invertebrates and uh, kind of vertebrates and then mammals to get to us to where we are, to handle our environment, okay? And this nervous system is designed to enable us to survive and pass on our genes. So number one priority for this brain and this nervous system and this immune system is survival, yeah? And for generations, we've lived in a very different environment. So we've lived outdoors predominantly, eating fresh foods in small communities and villages, and suddenly, Fast forward to the last 100, 200 years, we're suddenly living in these crowded, compact boxes, lack of daylight, eating bad food full of all kinds of nonsense. And 
and then sitting in front of a screen, sedentary all day, getting stressed, having deadlines, and wondering why we're getting ill, mm. right? Gee. We are not living according <laughs> to our genetic yeah. inheritance. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that, that's very true. Mm. And so these brain structures that I'm describing, when we're living in this uh, altered environment where we're in a pro-inflammatory environment, so our immune systems are in the background, TH2 responses constantly inflaming our systems, our stress systems are constantly being stimulated because of social media or the five o'clock deadline or problems we've got at work or in our personal lives. So our, our systems are on high alert. And that means that they're more prone to learning new defense responses, new dangers that they respond to, as you say, this kind of PTSD response. Um, and once that happens, the brain makes mistakes. And this is the key point. The brain makes mistakes as far as we're concerned. As far as the brain's concerned, hey, I'm ensuring survival. You've been through a traumatic experience. I'm going to trigger the nervous system and immune system every time I think it's warranted. But that then keeps the body ill and hyper-triggered to things that it shouldn't be responding to. And brain retraining is rebalancing that system. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, so how are the immune system and the autonomic nervous system brought under the same umbrella in this picture? Right. So you may have heard the phrase, neurons that fire together, wire, wire together. together. Yes, I have. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So imagine at the beginning of some of these conditions. So let me, let me describe how, how I see this. So we may have some genetic factors which make us more prone to getting these types of what we call neuroimmune condition syndrome. So neuro, it's in the brain, immune, because immune systems are involved, conditions because it's learnt and syndromes because there's a collection of symptoms. So neuroimmune condition syndromes, NICs we call these. Um, this includes MECFS, fibromyalgia, mold illness, et cetera, et cetera, chemical sensitivities. And so when we then have a lot of acute or chronic stress, so we're going through a really stressful time in our lives and it combines with that physical trigger. So in MECFS, it tends to be flu or a stomach bug or something like that, bacterial or viral infection. In terms of fibromyalgia, it's some kind of localized pain that suddenly occurred or an accident, car accident. Um, chemical sensitivities of mold, suddenly being in a moldy environment or a chemically stimulating environment or exposure to fragrance or in a, in a, uh, a building which has got you know, certain chemicals um, from, uh, from many years. A combination of those two things then means the brain thinks, uh-oh, that particular trigger, that physical trigger, is dangerous. And because we're under a lot of stress, our immune system is not responding. So let's take flu. Our immune system is not fighting off this flu effectively. Yeah? And nowadays, because of COVID-19, we're more acutely aware of the fact that actually many people die from flu each year. It is something which is life-threatening, but most of us take for granted. So the brain correctly and logically believes that our lives are under threat because of this flu. So it over-responds and overreacts for many weeks. And many people at the beginning of MECFS have said that for many weeks, you know, I just felt very fluy and I felt very ill and I couldn't fight off this virus or this bug. During that period, the immune system gets hyper-stimulated and then learns that if there is stress, I need to stimulate the immune system. If there is anything which reminds it of the original experience, I must trigger the immune system. So even once the flu virus has been fought off, even if that bacterial infection has been fought off, 
it's left a legacy in the brain now. And the brain believes just because neurons that fire together, wire together, any stress, anything negative in my life or the reoccurrence of an infection or that chemical, that means I'm in danger. Therefore, because it reminds me of the original trauma, now I must stimulate the immune system and the nervous system to protect this person because this is the right thing to do. And those symptoms, you know, when we trigger our immune system and nervous system, that can cause so many symptoms in our bodies. It yeah. sure can. Have and, flu. and can I just say uh, to that point, um, it's happening very involuntarily to our conscious thought. Uh, and a lot of people don't understand that part. A lot of people think, oh, you're, you're just anxious because you've been sick before. Uh, I, I don't feel like it's anxiety at all. I feel like my body starts to do all sorts of weird things. And I'm like, you're kidding. I'm having a great day. Why? It's involuntary, as you say. Yeah. It's unconscious. It's mm. unconscious. It's not our fault. And I really want to emphasize that, that this isn't about it being in the mind, mm. but it is in the brain. And it's yes. about making that differentiation. It's in yeah. the unconscious brain. Thank you for differentiating that because I think a lot of people really need to get that, um, both the people themselves and the people in their entourage. Yeah, it's not your fault. And if the doctor says, oh, it's psychosomatic or this is perhaps you're just anxious or worrying, that's not at the core of what is keeping these illness perpetuating in in the mind. Sorry, in the the brain. I made a mistake. Perpetuating in the brain. So that's what then happens is that those symptoms then get triggered and the symptoms of flu, we think it's the virus. No, the symptoms are coming from our own immune system responding. And for those people who haven't had MECFS, I describe it as the worst day of flu times 10. You know, that's what it kind of feels like. You're just completely in bed, you just can't move, just feeling exhausted. So all of those symptoms are being created by our own immune system. And even in COVID-19, we know that people are passing away not from the virus, but from the over-response of the immune system to the virus, which is inflaming the lungs, causing pneumonia, and then causing complications. So it clearly shows us that the brain can make mistakes, the body can make mistakes and over-respond to an inflammatory environment around us. And so the symptoms get created in the body and these symptoms get come back up to a hypervigilant brain that says, oh my God, look at this, what's going on in the body. This reminds me of when I was first ill, when the trauma first happened, we must still be in danger. Right, I knew we were still in danger. Let me trigger <laughs> the immune response, the nervous system response, which then creates the symptoms. And those symptoms double back to our hypersensitive, hypervigilant brain, which thinks, yes, I knew we were in danger, triggers the response. And we get stuck in a vicious cycle of illness response, illness response, all happening unconsciously. And, you know, this can happen with, as I said, exposure to chemicals and mold, electrical fields. And obviously, as we know, uh, fibromyalgia and MECFS are the big ones in terms of kind of physical symptoms. Yeah. And topically today, I would imagine COVID long haulers have an element of this as well. Absolutely. So we've already started treating uh, COVID-19 at our clinic and we've already started getting people better. So there was this lady who actually from Paris who contracted COVID-19 in the first week of March was completely bed bound um, and then no longer um, was infectious, no longer had the condition, but then was bed bound for four months. And then she used our program and within six weeks, uh, she's been walking five kilometers a day. 
uh, you know, incredible. And our videos on our website. So it's just it's just incredible that people can be so badly paralyzed by these responses from our own bodies. And yet with the right keys, we can get the body back to its normal homeostasis. So there could be tens of thousands, if not millions out there who are suffering now from post-COVID long haul. And we really want to give them, you know, kind of access to these types of uh, ways of looking at it. Because at the moment, doctors are just saying, well, there's nothing we can do. You know, we don't even understand what's causing it. But there's a perfectly logical reason. And especially because we are in such an anxious environment on the planet right now. Yes, I was going to say the stress response yeah. is huge. So it's even easier for that conditioning to incur in the insula and in the amygdala and cause these long haul symptoms. So is it, aren't humans funny? It's like our own worry and vigilance actually can become our worst enemy. Uh, <laughs> and actually, if we were more calm and uh, relaxed, uh, then we would tend to have a better fairing in general with anything, yes. really. Yeah. 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 Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, they say that there's nothing to lose but your mind. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. it really is this idea that actually in our modern world, the one thing that we don't have is peace of mind. Mm. Yeah, we have a mind I was going to say, I feel like this yeah. could be an extremely healing uh, program uh, for radicalised people, for people who are violent and, uh, and mean, you know, to just actually, I mean, I often say so much that is wrong with the world is this disconnection and these silos that we've built around ourselves where there's these other people that are out to get us. And it's all fictitious for the most part. And if we actually became peaceful in our minds, we would have no cause to fear others and fear illnesses to the degree at which we, we do as a society, thanks to media and all sorts of things that get constructed around us. Um, yeah, Alex, yeah, yeah, really profound, really profound. You're, you're kind of connecting it to our individual and also the kind of global level. And yeah, that's how, how I kind of see it, that actually, um, whether it's terrorist organisations or it's, uh, you know, political factions, it's this revving up of the nervous system it's this kind of collective this kind of individual collect, um, identity and identifying with that political cause that gets people riled up and then it's them against us yeah that kind of mentality and i give you an example um you may have heard of Sri Sri Ravi Shankar uh, who's a kind of global humanitarian uh, leader and uh, not many people know this but in Colombia there was a terrorist organization called FARC and they were causing lots of destruction and they were you know blowing up various places and he went to go and meet with them as a, a kind of spiritual leader and said, look, why are you guys doing all of this? Just why don't you just meditate? And he actually taught the meditation, the leaders of FARC, this kind of rebel kind of political organization. And that is was actually the stimulus for the peace negotiations in Colombia. And that's why we have peace. And it hasn't really been widely reported, reported, but it shows that if we can just appeal to the inner humanity of each being on this planet, actually, there's a wealth of love. There's a wealth of connection. There's our true individual selves if we can just connect to it. And a lot of life is just, as, as we said earlier, disconnecting from those unconscious software patterns which run our mind, which isn't us. We're not our minds. But deep within us, there is this profound love, this profound bliss, this profound unity with and connection with people around us. And if we connect to our true selves, which is the purpose of meditation or our own journeys, 
then the world would be a better place and we would be more healed. Mm. Let's let's do that. Let's build that world, Ashok. I, I'm I'm right for that challenge. I think we need it. <laughs> Just got to get past the military industrial complex. That's that's no big challenge. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so I want to ask you uh, because I have heard you talk about this uh, in a couple of the interviews that I was watching in the lead up to our conversation about the gut brain connection. And dare I say heart as well, because there's emerging research that the brain-heart connection is a very uh, important and strong one as well. What's happening in those communication channels uh, when we're starting to misfire and uh, have these perpetuated uh, over-responses to our environment, to our food, um, to illnesses, infections? Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good question. And actually, doctors and researchers are finding there is a huge amount of communication between the brain, the heart and the gut. And we think of this brain up here, but they actually say there's a small brain here so that the, the, the intestines and the stomach have uh, the second largest collection of neurons after the brain. So the brain and our minds is not up here. It's everywhere. It's everywhere our nervous system. So if I ask you to think about your little finger right now and really tune into your little finger, where is your mind? Well, your mind is in your little finger right now because you can feel it. You can, you're part of it, it's all part of you. So in the same way, there's a huge amount of communication going on and people have stress that goes to a particular part of their body according to their own genetic and emotional makeup. And so we find, and certainly I find from our research, that people who have more of an anxious disposition or nervous disposition or whatever, a lot of their anxiety will go more towards their stomach and their stomach region and their stomach will tighten. And that's my pattern. That was my old pattern. So I used to suffer from, when I had ME, I used to have IBS and all the various things connected <laughs> with that. So the gut is receiving messages from, uh, from the brain, from the mind, as it were, continuously and is responding to that and that will then obviously and I'm sure you're, you're, the, you're the expert here in terms of the people you've interviewed and yourself that impacts on our uh, balance of good and bad bacteria whether there's bacterial overgrowth in, ten, in the small intestines um, the tightening of the gut then causing diarrhea and constipation so that whole system gets disrupted when there's too much chemical signaling of stress anxiety or any other kind of emotion so that directly impacts on the gut. And the gut itself then feeds back information to our brains. So the nature of your gut, we know directly impacts on your mood. And we know if there's excessive inflammation in, in the gut or there is um, the wrong kind of foods being put into the gut, which is changing the balance of bacteria, that directly impacts on the brain. So there's the constant feedback loops which are going on. So that's why the, from a holistic perspective, it's not only about looking after the mind, it's about looking after the stomach, but it's not only looking after the stomach, it's looking after the mind. If you only get one, they will keep disrupting each other. So the holistic perspective is just you know, incredibly important. And of course, the heart as well. Um, there's a huge amount of kind of connectivity and uh, uh, neuronal activity here as well. And from an, you know, we can look at this from many different layers. So there's a physiological level, there's a neurological level. There's also the energetic level, yeah? And sometimes energy medicine can be seen as a bit kind of woo-woo and a bit out there, but actually we experience it every day. Where do we get anxious? When we get anxious, do we get anxious up here or do we get anxious here? 
we get anxious in these energy centers. We feel the anxiety in the heart area, right? Which then drops down to the stomach. So we, there's a sinking feeling of anxiety from the, the chest to the stomach, which then impacts on the, um, the gut. So that emotion of fear, which is the primal emotion, is directly impacting on these areas, not just from a neurological perspective, from, but from an energetic perspective. Then when we're experiencing anger, where do we tend to feel anger? It tends to be a redness around the head. We tend to experience it around this kind of area. Um, so you can see that um, the, the connections and activity is operating at many different levels. Yeah, absolutely. So key to, to really understanding and starting to unpack the complexity of how we can end up in these chronic spots. And I think that's really the start of realising that you can also then reverse them. Yes, understanding is key. And you see, if somebody doesn't understand this hypothesis, um, then when they're retraining their brains, uh, they'll always be thinking, yes, but maybe it's because I haven't had my chia seeds this morning. <laughs> or maybe it is what the doctor said that I've got, you know, excessive titers of various viruses in my body. And that's why I'm ill. We can start so easily looking for that physiological explanation. Those granular. Yeah. 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 Kind of reductionist med medical philosophies, which is there's something wrong with this part of the car. Let's fix that and then everything will be fine. No, it's the electrical system of the car that's going wrong. And nowadays in modern cars, it tend, that tends to be what goes wrong is electrical system. Um, so this idea that actually a lot of illnesses, even if there are physiological measurements where we can see that hormone is low or high, that neurotransmitter is low or high. This is something that we've detected in the body. We may well have those physiological responses, but at the core of it often is malfunctions in the brain or rather overprotective responses of the brain. And we are, and I now apply this even to illnesses that we wouldn't traditionally think of, such as asthma, hay fever, right? Even skin complaints. It's where the body creates an, a response which was appropriate at time X, but is no longer appropriate at time Y. But you're still terrified of spring coming around the corner because you know that that's yeah. going to be bad for you. Yeah. Yes. And so exactly. the fear is there, then the stress is there, and then yeah. the, whole, the, yeah. whole, the whole band gets back together, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. And we've had some people use it for hay fever. We'd love to do some studies on hay fever because that would really bring it alive. Yes. But this is something that, you know, can work for things like that as well. Um, but certainly the brain generalizes. So somebody can start with a sensitivity to mold, but quickly then generalizes to sensitivities to EMF or or to uh, fragrances and perfumes and petrol and all kinds of things. Mm, I certainly believe that that's what's happened for me. I've never had a problem with technology and I've used a lot of it. And all of a sudden, after my mould experience, uh, I mean, granted, the phone tower is literally 80 metres from my house. It's not something I want to live in permanently. Um, but I, I do find it interesting that this new post-mould me reacted literally within two weeks. I had full-blown SIRS again. It was unbelievable. Yeah, no, Alex, you know, and I, and I want to emphasize something to, to your listeners because there's, a, there's, a, there's something just to dissect here, which is I am not saying that exposure to chemicals and exposure to electrical fields is a good thing. Yeah, no, no, and thank you for, for yeah. saying that. 
Yeah. Yeah, that in, at a general level, we as a society are living in a more toxic world, which isn't good for us. So it's beneficial for all of us to reduce our exposures, to eat more cleanly, to live more cleanly, etc. And, and you're brilliant in terms of all your, your great interviews and podcasts on that subject. But the big but, when we're having an overreaction, that is a conditioned response of the brain to that environmental trigger. So we can still learn to live cleanly and at the same time retrain our brains from these over responses and that is the right way of doing it but but actually a lot of these uh, support groups and mold communities what they've done is say right the only way that you can deal with this is go and live in a caravan in Arizona because you have to avoidance is the only way because of this toxic world but what you've done is you've 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 married up two things which aren't meant to be married together which is a Conditioned over response versus living in a less toxic environment. And those two things are uh, connected but separate. Mm. And you still haven't dealt with the conditioned over response by going to live in the caravan, correct? You've reinforced it. Yeah. So every time we so you create a bubble of safety and it actually in the long run can make things worse. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And something which might, I'll say which is controversial, we also see this in uh, exclusion diets. Yeah. So someone might see a nutritionist or a naturopath and the naturopath will say, or the nutritionist rightly in those occasions might say, right, you need to avoid this food. And if you have any of this food, then it's going to make you feel worse. And it becomes very, very strict, which creates a huge amount of anxiety, but also trains that nervous system and that brain that those things are dangerous. And that's why we're avoiding it. So that then when that person has an even small amount of it, there's an even bigger response. So we spend a lot of time helping patients get back onto foods that they had avoided. So we have processes that once people get better from these various conditions, they can use the processes to introduce foods um, that they've had to avoid and gradually their nervous system gets used to it and says, that's okay. Now don't get me wrong, we're not, getting, we're not encouraging them to you know, uh, you know, drink five vodkas a day or you know, <laughs> things which are naturally kind of bad for people. <laughs> do the gupta program and then do whatever the heck you want (laughs) we're definitely getting into trouble for that (laughs) um you heard it here first (laughs) yeah foods which are generally okay for somebody those can be reintroduced amazing well how hopeful because so many people like i had to um eliminate gluten 17 years ago now and actually it was a wonderful turning point for me uh, in many ways Uh, low-tox life wouldn't exist without that happening in my life and it was very directly linked to chronic tonsillitis and the minute I didn't have it I just haven't had tonsillitis ever again so I actually love the fact that I don't it's not a stressful thing for me and um, and these days I mean it's just not a stressful thing full stop because you know, if you know how to cook and if there's a good GF bakery down the road, you're going to be fine. Um, but I do know a lot of people in our community for whom uh, multiple food sensitivities is an enormous stress and they have children with um, uh, all sorts of issues, anaphylaxis, um, some people who have inflammatory conditions where they get down to like five foods. I know uh, Beth O'Hara, the lovely Beth, who's the... Um, mast cell activation syndrome specialist she's had you on her uh, show and um, you know this is really her wheelhouse and she talks about these patients that are eating literally five things and that's what they feel safe eating 
And it's, it's really just no way to live in the long term. We need to retrain our responses. Absolutely. And unfortunately, people have got down to those five foods because um, they have noticed little reactions to certain foods, made the connection, reinforced the connection, and then eliminated, then moved on to another food. And so gradually, gradually, gradually get down to a few foods. Um, and what we, what we help people to do is get their nervous system stronger, get their immune system balanced so there's less of an inflammatory response, and then very slowly train the brain to introduce those foods back. And then they were able to, um, you know, to, to bring them back as well. In fact, we had a, a guy who had mast cell activation and chemical sensitivities. And he just wrote to us, I think a couple of weeks ago, talking about how he's feeling so much better and was able to kind of really control his reactions now. How incredible. Just so exciting. So let's talk about your program a bit more directly uh, now. Um, what can people expect? How does it work? What's the format that um, and the time commitment? Because that's, of course, something that everyone in 2020 is like, how much time am I going to need to spend on this? Let's remember, guys, it's actually about getting well. And that's something you would want to spend all your time on if you could. Absolutely. And on that point, our modern society undervalues self-care. What it values is achievement and being the best and getting the stuff you want in your life as high priority. But remember, that's what we've been conditioned by society to believe. But self-care, going inwards, looking after our health, if we make that the number one priority in our lives, everything else becomes so much easier. It's the idea of sharpening your saw. Uh, you, I don't know if you've, you've heard, that, heard that phrase. So, you know, there's a, a woodsman cutting down trees and uh, it's taking him longer and longer to cut down the trees because his saw is not sharp. And someone says to him, look, just sharpen the saw, then cut down the trees. He says, I don't have time for that. I've got to ah. cut down all these trees. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. But if he just took time out to sharpen the saw, it would, his whole life would be transformed. And in the mm. same way, self-care would make a priority. So, yes, sticking to the program is incredibly important. So the way the Gupta program works is an online program, an online video program. Uh, so people can sign up for a free 28 day trial where they can trial out the, some of the videos. They can find out lots of free information and some, even some free exercises, see if it's for them. And there's 15 interactive video exercises and uh, sessions. So 15 video ex in, uh, videos and lots of audio exercises that support the videos. And then as part of that, you get to be part of a community of people also working towards their health. So you're not left by your uh, by yourself. And you get weekly webinars with myself. So I present on different topics and support people through that six month journey. So it's a six month commitment to the program. And it can feel like, oh, gosh, that seems you know, quite a lot to, to kind of take on. But really, if we prioritize our health and realize it's a whole journey of self-discovery. Yeah. It's not just right. Do this program, get better and then throw myself back into the stresses I had before. It helps us transform at a deeper level. It's about longevity. So we look at what were the stress triggers that maybe triggered your condition in the first place and how can you make sure that you stay well long term? Yeah. And the minimum commitment is, let's say, you know, an hour a day. Yeah. Which I think that even if we said three month commitment, an hour a day is something that we can all do when we recognize that it's not just uh, about our physical health. It's about our emotional well-being. So people will feel happier, more contented by taking this hour out every day to, to do the Gupta program 
uh, tools mm. and techniques. So and really, you- and, and I'm just going to interrupt you here because this is a little, you know, when you have your phone and the notification pops up to let you know how many on average hours a day you've spent on social media platforms, I think the reality is, and it can be a hard truth for many, that we definitely all have an hour a day. Absolutely. I'm really glad you brought that up because uh, screen addiction is a huge problem and it's so unconscious as an addiction. And we, you know, how funny is it? We suddenly look at our phone and think, God, I've just wasted an hour on nonsense. I was looking at one thing, then the next thing, the next thing. And so, as you say, we all have that hour to easily carve out if we prioritise it. Yeah, we really do. And uh, in terms of the exercises, can you give us an example of one? So in the program, we have the three R's of the Gupta program, retraining the brain, relaxing the nervous system, which prepares our brain for retraining and re-engaging with joy. And in the retraining of the brain, the core of it is a seven step process where we teach ourselves to recognize the danger signals from the brain. So recognizing when the brain is detecting danger and creating a response, because there is a safety valve where the limbic system, the unconscious brain checks with the prefrontal cortex that what it's doing is correct. Am I doing the correct thing? So that's the safety valve because it knows we are operating at a higher level of consciousness. And normally this is completely unconscious. We're completely unaware it's involuntary. But when we train ourselves to recognize it, we can then take some steps to retrain the brain in that moment that it's happening. So we retrain for a concentrated period during the morning. And then throughout the day, little short exercises each time we recognize those danger signals, which calms the brain down. So that's an example of some of the brain retraining. Obviously, it's it's far more intricate than I'm describing it. And then there are also supportive tools, for instance, meditation and breathing. But we focus on meditation and breathing for those people who normally find it very difficult. You know, have busy minds. So I can't meditate. You know, people ask, I can't meditate. I just sit there and all I have are thoughts. (laughs) And I say, well, I'm glad you're sitting there having thoughts because if you weren't, then you're probably dead. Right? Yeah, exactly. So when you first start meditating, to suddenly think you're going to close your eyes and have an empty mind mm. is completely unrealistic and is probably how meditation may have been mistaught, actually. Yeah. For the beginner, meditation is about being the observer of how much noise is going on in your mind. Mm. It's perfectly okay to have lots of noise. So that's how, yeah. So those are some examples of the, the tools and techniques, but the core of it is some very intensive brain retraining that's uh, very difficult to describe but uh, but yeah hopefully I've given you an, an overview of it yeah absolutely um and so we've talked really about the breadth of the chronic uh illnesses and sensitivities uh so you, you definitely don't need to rehash those but uh I would I would love to just ask you one more question a, a personal one do you sometimes feel like an accidental healer given this really just was not what you had envisaged for yourself as a younger man? Are there any accidents in life? It's <laughs> <laughs> a deep philosophical. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, do you sometimes just kind of look around and go, wow, I'm here and I'm, I'm helping all these people. I so didn't have that as my plan. How does that feel sometimes? It may not have been the plan in my intellect, but it feels right to me in my heart. So when I do that kind of work, um, I feel like it's, fulfilling my life purpose at a deeper level and whether it's by accident or by design who knows but it it you know it's living your life purpose when you say 
this is me. This is what I believe in. I'm stepping into my power by doing this kind of work. So for me, it definitely feels like, uh, I suppose, my life's journey, my life's quest, what I'm meant to do here on the planet. Mm. Beautiful, Ashok. Uh, It's just been such a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you for your time and thank you for creating this program. It's one that I am very excited about embarking upon myself. So I'll be sharing with the community my experience and results. Uh, You guys can jump to the show notes and we have all of the links and details for how you can connect with Ashok's work and, uh, and get started and maybe even just watch a few videos or Uh, a couple more interviews. I think it's a nice way to kind of get to know whether that's someone you want to continue with. Uh, But I I know uh, for sure, having researched your work, that it is so important in today's age where so many people are dying slowly. You know, we're just on these hamster wheels of illness that we can't get off. And uh, for me, it's been four years and it's frankly four years too many. And I feel like if we really start to bring in the work that you're doing, the work that you have so obviously been able to help so many people change their reality and get well uh, into our health conversations while we work on all the granular things as well, it's of course important to keep an eye on everything, uh, then imagine where we could be, right? Yeah, absolutely. This for me is a a sea change in medicine. We're at the cusp of a, a new type of medicine which is about dealing with the software programs, not dealing with the hardware. So traditional medicine is very good at the hardware, but it doesn't really understand these kind of software problems. And that's what most people are are kind of suffering from. Uh, And I just wanted to add for your listeners that sometimes there can certainly be a skepticism about these types of of programs. And as you may know, we recently just completed a medical study um, on our treatment on the Gupta program, fibromyalgia. And it was a stunning uh, result for us. It was great. Um, So it showed that our program was far more effective than a control group, which was just doing relaxation. And just within an eight week intervention, so obviously our program's normally six months, but just an eight week intervention, it reduced fibromyalgia scores by 40%. uh, But in the control group, there was a zero response. Um, and that's it's just been published in the Journal of Clinical Medicine. So for those who are kind of more intellect based or more kind of scientific based, we now have that study. We're looking to do larger trials. And once we get those really big trials, then, then, you know, then we'll have that proof that this you know, finally to the medical profession, this is an effective treatment for a wide variety of different conditions. So Wonderful. Very exciting times. So exciting. Well, good luck with that. And uh, I look forward to chatting on the other side. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low-Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, 
about 27 euro and about 25 pounds, you get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.